Hello again, everybody. Lance Russell and Dave Brown right along ringside. By golly, we're about ready to go with more big action. Thank you very much, and welcome to Georgia Championship Wrestling. I'm Gordon Sully, your host, and we have quite an hour in store for us. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Championship Wrestling at ringside. This is Vince McMahon, along with wrestling's only living legend, Bruno Sammartino. Welcome to this week's edition of Mid-South Wrestling Television. I'm your host, Boyd Pierce, another outstanding card. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That's right. It's 100% territory talk each and every week here on the show. And I am your host, Ray Russell. And this week, we're back with more Mid-South 1986 as we finish up the month of February here this week with guest co-host Roman Gomez, who's going to join me here in just a minute. And just some of the things to be discussed this week, we're going to see the North American title change hands not once, but twice here in the latter half of February. Plus, the TV title also going to change hands as we close out February and say goodbye to Jake the Snake Roberts. Also, the Fabulous Ones and Guerreros going to finish up their feud here this week inside a steel cage. Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer and Hacksaw Jim Duggan going to resume their feud right where they left off. Terry Taylor makes his intentions known upon his return here to the Mid-South. Plus, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert quote-unquote retires as he's found himself a benefactor. And apparently, there are now two masked superstars. Also, evil Russian Korshtia Korchenko arrives, and the Rock and Roll Express will take on the Fabulous Ones in a dream tag team match. We'll even hear from the Colonel, Buck Robley, who's running opposition to Cowboy Bill Watts right now in Louisiana with the outlaw promotion Super Pro Wrestling. We're going to get into all of that, but first, just a friendly reminder, you can listen to the Regional Wrestling Podcast as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, along with sister shows like the Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we're currently handling the 1987 in the WWF project. You can also listen to my podcast, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. It's Raw versus Nitro, as we break down the weekly Monday Night War by taking a look both at what was going on in the ring as well as behind the scenes. And yes, of course, we'll even look into those pesky TV ratings, guys. Going on right now over at Monday Warfare, we've just come out of Bash at the Beach which means we've seen the formation of the NWO. Things are really getting hot there in the summer of 96. And you can listen to all of those shows and more over at the WrestleCopia Podcast Network located at WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com and everywhere your podcast streaming needs are met. From Apple to Spotify, Google and beyond. And don't forget to follow us on our social media accounts, guys. You can follow me on Twitter at WrestlingGrenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash wrestling grenade follow us on social media for all the latest goings on at the wrestlecopia podcast network and i'm also constantly adding old school video clips and pictures from throughout wrestling history and speaking of videos be sure to subscribe to our youtube channel over 450 videos and counting over at youtube.com slash wrestling grenade uploading new footage all the time as i continue to preserve my old vhs collection by converting it all to digital And last but certainly not least, now is a phenomenal time to become a WrestleCopia patron. If you guys have a few extra dollars in your PayPal account or burning a hole in your pocket, I'd greatly appreciate your support. And you can find us there at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That address again, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers you guys can choose from. I'm just asking you to give it a try at that $5 all-access tier. 
includes all of my insanely detailed show notes for the Wrestling Memory Grenade Monday Warfare and now the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well. Plus, early access to many of the podcasts here on WrestleCopia. You guys can listen days and sometimes as much as a week earlier than the rest of the listeners. Plus, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the 1989 NWA project includes enhanced sound quality and new content originally edited out of the initial broadcast due to time restraints, edited right back into the show. But that's not all. You'll also receive digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, and of course, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Coliseum videos, Saturday Night's Main events, Clash of the Champions, and so much more. You get all of that, plus random bonus video drops, and even more bonus goodies from time to time. All of that for the low, low price of just $5 a month. It's early access, insanely detailed show notes for three of our shows, Patreon-exclusive watch-alongs, remastered episodes with new content added in, plus digital downloads and so much more for just $5. No subscription, cancel anytime. Show your support. Give it a try for just a month. I think you like the content we offer, and every penny of it goes right back into this, the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So if you guys can, spare a few bucks. Help support the brand. Keep WrestleCopia and all of our podcasts up and running for the months and the years to come. All right, guys, and with all of that out of the way, it's time to jump back in to the topic at hand. This week, we're going to close out the month of February for the Mid-South Wrestling Territory, 1986. guys let's bring him back on gonna join me my special guest co-host here in the mid-south 86 project he is the former co-host of the mid-atlantic championship podcast now a recurring guest here on regional wrestling we seem to click more and more every time he's on the show gonna welcome him back yet again roman gomez welcome back to the program thank you it's good to be back i know we had some technical issues and with our schedules being crazy but man i'm glad everything lined up and uh, we're ready to record as am I, and I'm glad they, they canceled your jury duty or however that played out for you as well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What a what a blessing. I was sweating it, and I <laughs> called and did my civic duty, you know, and they said my services weren't needed. I'm like, oh, man, I was dancing. One of the greatest sentences in the entire world. Your services are not needed. <laughs> yes, yes. If I knew how to spin a cartwheel, I would have done about a 1,000 of them in my living room. Awesome, awesome. Well, I'm, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to this, Roman, but... Are you ready to continue on our journey through 1986 here in the Mid-South Territory? 1,000% yes. I am waiting. and uh, I've been waiting, and uh, yeah, I'm excited. Let's do this. All right. So before we get going, guys, remember, you can follow along with us, watch the matches, the angles, the promos, or the complete shows if you want here in 1986 Mid-South, the UWF, as I continue to upload the entire year of 86 Mid-South TV, Power Pro, and many of the Houston Coliseum matches as well, all of them in chronological order over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. So as long as the WWE or Endeavor or 
whoever it is permits, you guys can check those out by subscribing right now, once again, to youtube.com slash wrestling grenade. And now that we have that out of the way, we have tons of stuff to get into here today as we close out the month of February here in 1986. And I don't want to spoil the fun at the top of the show, but Roman, before we get into our next batch of Mid-South TV, I wanted to make a quick stop down here to the city of Houston, Texas for another event at the Sam Houston Coliseum. Our next episode of TV will air February 15th here in 1986, but I wanted to make this stop first in Houston the day prior, February 14th, Valentine's Day. Some quick results here from the Houston Territory, a territory in which Bill Watts has had a third of a stake in for the last few years here. And it all kicks off with some good news, and unfortunately it's going to be followed by some sad news as well. But but we kick it off. Paul Bosch makes his triumphant return, announced in the ring here at the top of the card, returning from a quadruple bypass heart surgery for this February 14th card. And how, how apropos that he returns from heart surgery on Valentine's Day of all things. But it's acknowledged for the first time to the Houston fans, and they give him a standing ovation, and rightfully so. And while Bosch only owned a third of the territory by this point, he was still the figurehead and was the longtime promoter here to the local fans. They loved Paul Bosch, and he was happy to be back. Well, Paul Bosch was such a staple in the Houston area, you know, besides doing commentary and the interviews, just the stuff he did behind the scenes, just a beloved figure, one of the few things I've never heard anybody say bad about as far as a promoter you know his word meant something he was a fair payoff guy and he was just an institution in the Houston area so it's good to see him back back in that booking office is Paul Bosch and that was the that was the good news here Roman uh, unfortunately uh, we follow that sadly with with some pretty somber news the announcement is made here following Paul Bosch's return in the ring of the tragic death on February 2nd of Gino Hernandez Talk about a major hit to Paul Bosch so shortly after heart surgery as well. And I hadn't realized the two things came so close together, but rough times here for Paul Bosch, the passing of Gino Hernandez. Yeah, it, it sucked to hear about Gino passing. And, you know, there's been stories, depending on who you want to believe, that right. Paul Bosch was Gino's stepfather and whatnot. I mean, they had a close relationship, and Gino was one of those guys. He had his demons, you know. It's no secret. He liked to party. and do some stuff he shouldn't have done, but uh, what a tremendous talent and definitely a loss for the pro wrestling world. I don't know if Gino was ever going to be to the size of a world champion, but a lot of people say he could have been a future world champion. Of course, we were moving away from the territory system. I don't know if that would have came to fruition, but I certainly put him right there. He was a hell of a talent, especially a heel. Uh, Gino was uh, one of a kind for sure. And you talk about that rumor, was Gino really Paul Bosch's son or not? Some people swear they know he was. Some people swear they know he wasn't. I guess we'll truly never know. And then there's also rumors, and I don't know because I've never seen the reports, his, his death report, but uh, a lot of people stated that he was found with uh, three times the, the passable limit to stay alive of cocaine, but he, it wasn't just inside of his body, but in his stomach of all places. So really odd. If true, clearly there was some foul play there. Yeah, Gary Hart had mentioned that too. You know, you don't associate cocaine and whatnot being in somebody's stomach like that but right. uh you know you would you would mention gino you know the talk of him a world champion could have done it or not but i totally could have seen gino as a horseman down the road you know he was a guy that would dress up in a suit he liked to party he already had a relationship with Tolly blanchard they were former tag champs in the southwest area 
I could have seen Gino being a horseman at some point down the road had he now not that, passed away. That I could have seen, and what would have worked great there is you could have kept Arn in that single spot, and everybody's giving me crap right now. I can hear him roaming because I'm taking away their Arn Anderson Tully Blanchard tag team. But I'm not. I'm not trying to, guys. I'm just trying to fantasy book here just for a second because if you keep Arn in that TV title and in a singles position and whatever. And you give Tully and Gino that chance to be a tag team and then do that babyface turn for Gino there. I could see yeah, absolutely a top babyface as well down the road. And, you know, the, the great thing with the names you mentioned, they were interchangeable. I mean, Arn right. could have main evented as a single, a tag, same with Gino. You know, no matter what you did, it would have been great. You know, Gino and Tully, Arn and Tully were without a doubt one of my favorite tag teams of all time. I mean, you couldn't go wrong uh, no matter what you did. I don't think you could have screwed that up. No, I think I think Gino would have been a great replacement for Ole Anderson. And, you know, I'm not taking anything away from Luger and the look that he had when he came in. It's, you know, it certainly added a, a different level to the four horsemen. But at the same time, man, I think Gino would have fit in re really well right there when Ole left the group. Yeah, uh, I don't know if, if Flair would have wanted the, uh, I don't know, competition is the right <laughs> word, but Gino, yeah, G Gino liked the fast cars and the fast women, and it was almost like he was a, uh, like a Ric Flair Jr. type, you know, character. Yeah, yeah. Good call. Good call. So, uh, sadly, unfortunately, uh, we announced the passing of Gino Hernandez at this point. But we do have some matches here in Houston on February the 14th. And we were scheduled to see the blow-off between the Fabulous Ones against Hector and Chavo Guerrero. It was going to take place here inside a steel cage. But it's announced that the Fabs are no-shows. Apparently, they're, quote-unquote, snowed in in Tennessee so the steel cage match going to have to wait against the Guerreros postponed until the next show here in Houston on February 28th. So instead we get Chavo and Hector Guerrero going over on the sheep herders here on a count out. Now this was actually the next planned tag team feud in Houston. So they're starting it up a little early, uh, calling an audible here because the fabs were missing in action. And, you know, let's face it. It's not like the sheep herders were chopped liver. So, I mean, the fans, in the Houston area, got a quality tag team replacement for the fabulous ones in the Sheep Herders. Right, and it was uh, it was obviously an audible, but booking 101, I mean, it was going to be the cage match here in the Sheep Herders on the 28th. All they did was flip-flop the thing, so no big deal there, and, and they still got a, a real, like you said, a quality match either way. Yeah, and uh, the Sheep Herders were excitement. You know, back then, uh, like I mentioned on one of the podcasts, all they had to do was come in and wave the flag, and fans were going to go crazy. We continue on. Mid-South Tag Team titles were on the line. It was Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams over the team of Dick Murdoch and one of those masked superstars. And then from there, it was leaked in the Houston newspapers that week, Roman, that Jake the Snake Roberts was WWF bound. I don't know who leaked that, but the reporters in the papers smarmily said, don't expect Jake to win that North American title here tonight, as if wrestling were fixed or something. So what does the cowboy do? WWCD? What would Cowboy do? Well, listen to this. TV champion Jake the Snake Roberts pins Dick Slater to capture the held-up North American title. Now he'll drop it back to Slater here just a few days later, February 23rd in Oklahoma City. But for the short term, Bill Watts saying to the papers, take that. And back then, K Fabe was alive and well. So what better way to swerve people that think they've got a little inside scoop than have Jake go over and win the title? Yeah, Watts can't prevent Jake Roberts from showing up in the WWF, but he can sure prove those reporters wrong. You guys think you know everything. Wrestling's fixed. He's leaving the company, so he can't win my title. I'll show you. And Jake Roberts gets gets a little bonus there on the way out of the territory, an extra championship. 
Yeah, that's not something you see a lot of. And, you know, you don't see a lot of Jake as a champion anywhere. So me as a fan of Jake, you know, even though it's uh, short-lived, it was kind of cool to see him get a, get a title for a little bit. Absolutely. As we move on to Mid-South Wrestling Television, February 15th, tape back February 2nd at the Tulsa Fairgrounds Pavilion, Tulsa, Oklahoma. We open up with a VTR reminder from last week that Hacksaw Jim Duggan has returned from Japan. As we see a clip from last week's TV, Duggan making his return to the Mid-South from a quick tour of New Japan for Antonio Inoki. As Jim Ross conducts an interview in the ring with Duggan, Duggan says he went to Japan, spent a week in Hawaii getting some sun, but now he's back home here in the Mid-South. And Duggan is back for Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, Dick Slater, Dickie Murdoch, and anyone else who wants a piece of him. Tough guy. He's back and he's looking for everybody. You know, I guess the uh, relaxing and the the R&R and the sun, you know, you can only do it for so long. He wanted to get back and uh, kick some butt. Before we get going here with the action this week, Roman, I got to ask you, what did you make of this brand new red, white, and blue ring mat here that they're using in the Mid-South? I kind of had like mixed opinions. I mean, it was different, so it did make it stand out a little bit. And uh, I don't know, it it didn't bother me too much, but uh, it was definitely different. Like, we'd eventually, we would see this in Japan, we would see this in World of Sport, but it wasn't really commonplace here in North America so much. And uh, so I agree with you on both sides. I'm a little uh, iffy, iffy, 50-50 on it, really, because it is different. It stands out. It makes everything look different and, and unique. But at the same time, I don't I don't know that I like it either. So it's, it's, the jury's out so far. And with wrestling, who knows? Maybe the original ring mat didn't make it or maybe it was being washed or who knows you know maybe you got a good deal on it i don't know but yeah it was kind of interesting to see a little change there yeah not sure what they were going for as we uh, roll on with the show though next we're off to one of the brand new well one of the many brand new joel watts produced music videos it's coco beware's video this week set to moore's days the bird as we head to the ring to see the bird man coco beware in action taking on rob ricksteiner and uh, he has arrived back to the Mid-South, but he's the Birdman now, Roman. Also now a middle initial added to his name. He's not Coco Ware, but rather Coco Beware. And he takes his happy time getting into the ring here, getting his song and dance over with the fans. Uh, lots of mat grappling to start this matchup. Wear down holds, if you will. Uh, leading to Rick Steiner briefly taking control, but Coco fires back. Only Rick Steiner sends Ware into the corner, but Coco jumping up to the middle rope and BAM! Damn near takes Steiner's head off with a missile drop kick, and Coco going to get the win in quick fashion here, pinning Steiner in four minutes and 53 seconds. And Steiner was put over on commentary by Ross. He said he reminds him of a Dr. Death at this stage of his career. So I thought that was wow. kind of a compliment, you know, so to speak. And, uh, and yeah, Coco hit the impressive drop kick to get the victory. I don't know that Rick Steiner ever reached the level of Doc uh, internationally anyway, but I got to say, based on what we saw of Doc early on, 82, 83, of course, he was still in college at the time as well. And Rick Steiner here in 85, 86, I think Steiner's, uh, you know, a little bit above where Doc was at this point in his career. So good call there on the uh, commentary made by Jim Ross. And Steiner was definitely a little bit better condition. You know, Doc definitely. was always a big guy, but when he started out, he was he was a little pudgy, I guess Very is a burly. way of putting it. Very burly. Yes, yes. <laughs> And uh, he, he trimmed down a little bit and was able to move around the ring a little little quicker, you know, when he lost that weight. Uh, we roll on more newcomer action here as Luke Williams teaming with the recently departed Butch Miller. It's the Sheep Herders headed to the ring to take on Perry Jackson and Ricky Gibson as the Sheeps are out waving their New Zealand flag before the matchup. 
Jim Ross on commentary, getting the Sheepherders over as the ultimate rule breakers, citing many riots. Ross claiming that if he had a penny for every dollar that they've been fined, he'd be a rich man by now, by God. Maybe he'd even make his own barbecue sauce, Roman. So (laughs) (laughs) they try hard to get over the sheep herders as not just heels, but evil foreigners who hate America here. To quote Joel Watts, they're anti-Americans. The sheep herders dominating poor Perry Jackson and score the pin here with a double gut buster in just a minute and 23 seconds without ever allowing Ricky Gibson to tag in, much like they did last week to poor Steve Dahl when they kept Brett Sawyer on the apron. So the Sheep Herders again this week, cutting the ring in half, never allowing the weak link of their opponents to tag out, making them not just violent, but smart. So the Sheep Herders, they're not the most fundamentally sound wrestlers, but they clearly know the art of tag teaming. Well, let's not forget they were champions in 38 different countries. So they should know a little something. <laughs> we'll have more on that in just a second for sure. Uh, you know, I have a solution for this. These these tag teams, they keep putting the uh, enhancement guy, the job guy in first. How about don't let him start the match? How about that? Just just for starters. Yeah, you you would think if you're going up against the Sheep Herders, you'd want to put your best foot forward to start <laughs> off with, but it's pro wrestling, so we'll let it slide. We'll see what happens as we continue on here. But right now, Jim Ross stepping in the ring to talk to Luke and Butch. They've been champions in 37 different countries and fined and suspended more than any other tag team in professional wrestling history, mate. The Sheepherders, they say they aren't worried about fines and suspensions. They do it the only way they know how. They're on their U.S. invasion tour. They're taking over. They're going to wipe out all the American wrestlers because none of them are man enough to take on the Sheepherders. Now, I know you said back in this time period, if you came out with any flag that wasn't American, it was instant heat. But the New Zealanders as anti-Americans, a little bit of a stretch for me, but I still love the team. Oh, great team, you know, and uh, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't take a few seconds to acknowledge the passing right. of Butch, you know, recently. I mean, what a sad day in the wrestling world. And uh, I thought it was kind of neat that he came to America and... I heard he was able to see Luke one last time before he passed away, which is amazing because uh, I've heard they've been friends and wrestled together for like 50 years. Yeah, how fitting that he got here to the States before he passed away, got to see Luke just one last time in person. For people who don't know the story, of course, they worked over in New Zealand for many years before coming over to the United States and wrestling in pretty much everywhere from Florida to to Portland, of course, here in the Mid-South, and eventually becoming the Bushwhackers. Uh, But there was a period there in the early 80s where Butch got homesick and he went back to New Zealand for a while. And that's why Luke was teaming up with Jonathan Boyd there for a while with Butch gone from the country. But Butch comes back. The Sheep Herders are are back in action, of course, certainly by this point. And it it was just a sad thing to uh, hear about the passing of Butch. I want to say it came out of nowhere. I know he's had health issues for years, but there wasn't really anything going on uh, mentioning him. Of course, he made a trip all the way over here from New Zealand. So you had to figure he had to be in some sort of okay enough health to make such a plane ride but yeah just sad to hear that that happened yeah and you know with the pandemic and the travel restrictions he wasn't able to come over a couple years ago i know that they were supposed to be doing a meet and greet like in 2020 you know back when we all had to wear masks and the but he wasn't able to come over because the travel restrictions so he hadn't seen luke in a while and uh it it made me smile just knowing that they were able to see each other one more time because they were lifelong friends so uh, this episode of Mid-South got to roll on, Roman. It's uh, newcomer Taurus Bulba 
going to be managed now by Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert taking on Steve Dahl as we get a replay from last week. Taurus Balba making his debut. He and Eddie Gilbert turning and ridding the world of Mid-South anyway of Sir Oliver Humperdinck. And it took Gilbert a year to get even, but Humperdinck, he hasn't been heard from since. So the action gets going as uh, Jim Ross, Joel Watts talk about Bulba's low center of gravity here, i.e. he's short, guys. Uh, it's headbutts from Bulba and a kneeling reverse pile driver going to pick up the quick win in just one minute and nine seconds. And based on his blandness and size, I was never really sold on Bulba. Juan Reynosa, call him whatever you want, in a serious spot here in the card, though he was fine in the ring. And not not to get off topic, really, Roman, but somehow this man, Bulba, he's going to manage to beat Kerry Von Erich, of all people, with his own iron claw finisher a couple of years down the road. But I, I just can't buy into it. I can't suspend my disbelief to take this guy as a, a main event threat. I don't know about you. No, and I don't think anybody else did either. I mean, if you recall, he did not have a long run in Mid-South. It just, something just didn't jive. You know, it just didn't seem believable as a, monster heel or anything and uh yeah as far as the bulba and carrie von eric i think that might have had as much to do with eric embry booking behind the scenes you know trying to maybe not carry down a notch so he could elevate himself a little bit sure there's always that the booker's always up to something and uh we'll see that here with terry taylor before we're done with this episode for sure up next though it's tv champion jake the snake roberts he's preparing for a match against broadway joe malcolm when Dick Slater and Dark Journey interrupt him in the ring as we get an interview, a back-and-forth interview here between Jake Roberts and Dick Slater in the ring as we hear monster DDT chants from the fans. Dick Slater trying to speak on the microphone over that big loud chant as uh, Dick offers to put Dark Journey on the line versus Jake the Snake's TV title and the vacant North American title as well. And Slater, he doesn't fear the DDT, so he doesn't care if Jake uses it or not. He just wants to settle this once and for all, and is obviously very confident here. As Jake tries to lunge at Slater, but as he's being held back, Terry Taylor arrives. Did I mention the booker? Terry says that both men's issues with each other have both of the singles titles all tied up. So Taylor challenges both Jake and Dick Slater. Terry says he doesn't care about their personal problems. He's putting them both on notice. Whomever walks out the winner of their match here with the titles, Taylor wants a North American title shot. And this is, it's pretty funny here. I marked in my notes. Jake Roberts doesn't even appear to pay attention to what Taylor's doing in the ring, continuing to come after Dick Slater and Dark Journey instead, chasing the heels out of the ring. And Slater and Journey eventually leave ringside, but Taylor, not too far behind, just kind of walks away, an afterthought almost. So Terry issues a challenge in the middle of all this heat that we have going on between Slater and Jake and the two feuding men, they barely sell it. And remember Taylor was the booker at this point. So this didn't really do much for Terry. In my personal opinion, Roman, it kind of felt out of place. Like he just threw himself in there. Like he just inserted himself just because he could. And I guess maybe he wanted people to know that he was in the same league as a Jake Roberts and a Dick Slater, but Jake, he was just so amped up wanting a Dick Slater that it really made the crowd erupt. And nobody seemed to pay much attention to Terry Taylor. Yeah, they, they know sold Taylor coming out. And, uh, you know, Jake didn't even, like, make a comment or right. basically look at Taylor. It I was, was just kind of like. Yeah, didn't even look at his direction. <laughs> yeah, he had tunnel vision. He just he just wanted to get his hands on Slater. And, uh, you know, that allowed Malcolm to jump Jake. And uh, Jake right. just hit him with some stinging jabs, hits the DDT, and then he's yelling for Slater after the bell, not even acknowledging Taylor again, you know, just. I want Slater. I want Slater. That's all he had on his mind. 
Yeah, and you know, Jake had said on his podcast that it was he and Slater that really booked their feud. It wasn't really Terry Taylor's involvement there. So it's it's kind of funny that Terry Taylor clearly interjects himself in this and he says, Hey guys, I'm gonna come out while you guys are doing this, and and I'm sure Slater and Jake were like, Yeah, okay, you can come out. We can't control that, but we can control what we do. And they basically just ignore him and continue their own storyline. Yeah, and the thing is, I mean, Taylor was a top talent, you know, back then. It wasn't yeah, yeah. The, I'm the not Red ripping Rooster, on Taylor, you know, just, but it just felt out of place. Like it was the wrong time. I guess is what I was trying to get at. You know what I mean? Oh, exactly. Exactly. You know, and uh, we'll see later on, you know, Taylor wrestles Jake and they have a good match and Taylor could have wrestled Slater. It would have been good, but just him going to the ring in the middle of all that excitement and their feud and, and the crowd didn't really go crazy. Cause I mean, Jake was the most over guy in the company. So if, if Jake's not selling it, the crowd's not going to, believe in taylor at that at that moment either <laughs> right well jake doesn't care you know he's he's working with the house money now because he's on his way out so he's gonna do what he's gonna do yeah what are they gonna do fire him and it was actually <laughs> it was actually these tapings that some things went down and, and i'll address that when we get to uh jake's final night in the company but for now i'll leave that on the side but like you said it was uh broadway joe malcolm attacking jake roberts because he was distracted by dick slater ringside but it didn't last long. Jake coming back with those stinging jabs, as you said, and plopping him down with the DDT, scoring the win in just 25 seconds here as he gets an absolutely insane pop once again. And uh, as for Joe Malcolm, Broadway my ass. Jake Roberts immediately pops up after the match too, motioning for Slater to get back in the ring. That's his entire focus, even showing the TV medallion off here, offering to put it up right now if Slater will get back inside. And Jake Roberts is as over here now as he's ever been anywhere, ever. And it's a damn shame, too, because he's on his way out to the WWF. Yeah, just when things were, like, really boiling and get escalating, and then he's gone. It would have been great to see him, even six months, even if it wasn't a full year, right. just six more months of Jake to see what could have happened would have been incredible. Yeah, and I can't wait to get to the stories that Jake told about the reason that he left the company. It's not what most of us would probably think. It wasn't what I thought, Roman. It wasn't even... Uh, what we had discussed in the past about it. So it's very interesting. And it doesn't, you know, a lot of wrestlers make up their own versions of things, but this doesn't really make Jake look you know, bigger than the life. It doesn't really do a lot for Jake. It's so it sounds like a very feasible and, and realistic reason for him leaving. So I look forward to getting to that when we talk about Jake's final night in the company here at the end of the program. But for now, this program continues on. And it's the masked superstar. We'll call him number two here. Kelly Kaniski with Dick Murdoch in his corner taking on Brett Wayne Sawyer. And it's important to note that they're, they're selling this like it's the real superstar at this point. We don't know that there's two yet, guys. So Kaniski visibly leaner than Bill Eady, though. So this is definitely Kelly Kaniski in this spot here as it's back and forth between the superstar and Brett Wayne Sawyer. Fun little TV match. And Brett tries for a flying head scissors and gets dropped throat first across the top rope. And I've said it before, I love that move. Superstar. Thinks he has Brett where he wants him. Scoops Brett up for a big slam, but Sawyer's feet nail referee Carl Fergie, and Fergie goes down to the mat. Sawyer shifting his weight in the air on the slam, landing on top of the superstar, making the cover, but there's no referee. So it's Dickie Murdoch to the top rope, flying stomp with a cowboy boot. And I always make fun of people that come off the top rope or the middle rope with a stomp, but Dickie Mur he, Dick Murdoch knew how to make it look real, probably because it was kind of real, and that cowboy boot added to the effect here. Flying stomp to the back of the head of Brett Wayne Sawyer here, allowing the superstar, number two, to score the win in four minutes and 30 seconds. And as I say, cheater's going to cheat, and the heels leave with heat. 
and Murdoch knows when to take advantage of a situation. He you know, sure you got does. the ref down. He, he comes in, does his damage. And like you said, the boot jumping off the top rope, Murdoch can make it look good. So, you know, it was believable when he did it. And as, as we've seen in the past, Murdoch, sometimes he doesn't even care if the referee's looking. He's come in before and just blasted people with chairs. So Murdoch's going to Murdoch too. <laughs> and that's why he was so much fun to watch. Uh, Murdoch was just incredible. You know, you look at him, a big beer belly and everything, but the guy could do a flying head scissors. And he was one of those guys that, like the old adage, you can't always judge a book by its cover. Yeah, Murdoch was in and out of the NWA in 89, but he comes back randomly for like maybe a few weeks in the fall, around October-ish, and he does two matches with Lex Luger on TV. Murdoch in the first match, one of the probably one of his final great matches on TV against Lex Luger, of all people, too. And it was just, uh, it goes about 20 minutes, and if you guys can go and check it out, go find it. I, might, I believe I might have uploaded it to my YouTube, but it's been several years ago. Uh, if you guys want to go see if it's on there, but yeah, they do two matches and I was so excited for the rematch, which I actually found on an old tape. I had to convert it. It's not out there. It's not out in the circulation. I, I was so in, in sent on finding the rematch that I, I finally did in my VHS collection and I converted it and it just wasn't as good as the first one, but Murdoch was doing kip ups and head scissors and all these things in between. It was just a really good match. And when you can get a good match out of Luger and a lengthy match, that, that's saying something. Because uh, Luger was not known for having lots of great, long, lengthy matches. You know, right. if he wasn't in the ring with the Flair or Steamboat. I mean, there was a match against Nikita that was on the Great American Bash videotape from 87. They edited that, and it was still boring <laughs> as all can be. Yeah, it was uh, just a really good match. I encourage everybody to go try to find it. It might be on my YouTube, but you have to dig back to my early archives on there if it is. Uh, but we're going to roll on here in 1986, back to 86. It's Terry Taylor, the booker himself, stepping into the ring with Gustavo Mendoza. And Taylor early on with a fireman's carry into a suplex of sorts. Pretty cool move there. You don't see that very often. Mendoza takes over briefly, and Taylor going to try for a backdrop, but it's Mendoza taking the backdrop, but... Landing on his feet. I wrote, holy shit, Roman. That was awesome. Uh, great sequence also with both men running the ropes until Taylor connects with the five arm. And he's going to pick the win here in three minutes and 33 seconds. And I know I keep saying it each and every time out, but Mendoza impresses me more and more with every passing week. And the winner, was there ever any doubt, Terry Taylor placing himself next in line for that North American title. And this was a fun little match. You know, it was competitive. Uh, Mendoza got enough offense in to make it look good. And he did something that was so old school that I appreciated it. He was working the arm. You okay. know, that was something you used to see back then. They would work a body part, right? you know. So, yeah. so I was like, wow, that's kind of cool. And then, like you said, it was real impressive to see them run the ropes at the end. The timing was just precise. Uh, they were both moving around real quick. And then Taylor hit the five arm. And it was a cool ending to see. Yeah, that's not something you saw all the time back then, so I was really impressed with the timing on that spot. Yeah, and then like you said, the the backdrop, you know, for him to land on his feet. This is an enhancement worker. Right. You yeah. know, that, that wasn't a Brad that wasn't a Brad Armstrong or a Jushin Liger or you know, this was an enhancement talent to do that. So to me that made it even a little more impressive. Yeah, and and I hate for everybody to think that I'm kissing Gustavo's ass because I keep putting him over here, but even on the landing, like it was, it was a perfect 10 on the landing. There was no, like, bend in the knees, a loss of balance. Like, he just landed like he'd done that thing every day for the last 10 years. It was really good stuff. Oh, it was smooth. Yeah. It was very smooth how he did. Yeah, like you said, he, he landed perfectly. He didn't 
stagger. He didn't trip. I mean, it was, yeah, when I saw that, I was like, whoa, where'd that come from? Yeah, he stuck the landing, but Terry Taylor stuck that five arm, picks up the win here. And we're going to close out this episode of TV with another music video. Imagine that. Featuring who else but Terry Taylor and when the going gets tough. And boy, do they know how to make every minute of their show count. Not a single minute of downtime on this episode of Mid-South. Great piece of TV here this week. Yeah, and it was nice to see another Taylor video other than freeze frames. Always. It was just something different. We've seen freeze frame 9,000 times, so to do the going gets tough, it was a change of pace a little bit. Yeah, I should have started a counter on this. You know, they do that counter with Mike Boyette and his loss record. I should have done that with this uh, new video, see how how many times we see this on TV. But I'm not going back now, so we are where we are as we roll on for February 16th. It's Power Pro, hosted by Jim Ross. And JR announces the upcoming inaugural Jim Crockett Sr. Memorial Tag Team Tournament, a.k.a. the Crockett Cup. The event will take place at the Superdome in New Orleans and will be a special collaboration between Mid-South Wrestling and Jim Crockett Promotions. And that's heavy on the JCP, guys. Ross also announces it'll feature 20 teams, but actually it winds up being 24 teams, Roman. And uh, Joel Watts even interviewing some... Superdome Booker or whatever this guy is, Bob something or other, uh, hyping the event. I wrote whatever. I, I, I get why they do these things. They, they try to make it feel more sportsy, but I just wasn't into it. Joel Watts talking to this guy who has some sort of pull in the Superdome. Right. But, you know, just the fact it was mentioned that it was at the Superdome gives it that big time feel because, you know, they would not hold a normal run of the mill card at the Superdome. If it was at the Superdome, you had the feeling it was going to be important. And, uh, you know, then you hear 24 teams. When you first hear that, you're kind of wondering, like, okay, who's coming in? You know, is right, it yeah. guys from Japan? Who is it? You know, your, your mind's going a thousand different places. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, we know years later how it turns out. But right. as we talk about it, it's going to be interesting to see what names are announced. Yeah, and I know Mark Me, uh, the Mark kid in me in the 1980s. I know what I was doing right there when I heard that, Roman. I was running to my PWI or my my, my uh, after mags or whatever, and I was going through the, the top 10 list, you know, of all the tag teams throughout the different territories, and I was making my own guesses as to, oh, which teams could it be like you just said? So lots of fun there for the fans to start guessing who, who's coming in. And it, and it sucked for people like you and I, the fans that, you know, we knew back then – we were going to maybe hear the results, but we probably wouldn't see any of them because right. it was such a big deal. You know, we didn't know that there would be a videotape coming sure. out, you know, years later or whatnot. So waiting on the magazines, I mean, sometimes they were two, three months late. So when yeah. you're hearing about it in February, you're thinking like, my gosh, I might know all, not know all the scoop till June or July. Yeah, I, m- I might know by the time I go back to school or, you know, I guess if you're older or whatever. But by the end of the summer, I might know who won this thing. But, yeah, I hear you. Absolutely. Yeah, luck- luckily uh, it did come out, and then the network showed the unedited version of 86. Unfortunately, it had no commentary, but it was cool to see the full length of the matches and not have them clipped. Oh, my God, yeah. That was great stuff, man. It's one of the things they did right. As, uh, Power Pro rolls on. Jim Ross interviews the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, talking their differences in the past with Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. Ricky and Robert are glad that they've the tag team champions have apparently turned over a new leaf, but the Rock and Rolls want to make it clear they'll take on all comers. Whether the champs are the baby faces or the heels, Rock and Roll Express looking for perhaps a title shot down the line. Ross also discussing the Rock and Rolls issues with the current 
NWA World Tag Team Champions, the Midnight Express, who recently dethroned the Rock and Rolls of those belts. Rock and Rolls apparently also having issues with the Russians over in Jim Crockett promotion. So lots of teams are going to be coming through here, we'll see, due to the Crockett Cup being upon us. And I've always been a fan of tag team wrestling. So when you start hearing about tag team tournaments, it does kind of get your mind racing and uh, get a little excited to see like who's coming in the territory. And uh, like you said, rock and rolls and, and the Russians, rock and rolls in the midnight. There's so many possibilities they could have went with. And we talked about all of those TV title tournaments and all these tournaments Bill Watts has, uh, you know, been doing as of late and how they're starting to become monotonous. And we'll even get a UWF title tournament here pretty soon. But this just felt different. This felt like, like you said, it was at the Superdome. It just felt larger than life. Yeah, then you start hearing that, you know, Japan might send people and there might be people from, you know, all over the world coming in. So, yeah, it does add another flavor to it. And the show goes on. We get localized promos as Mid-South headed back February 23rd to the Lakefront Arena in New Orleans. One of the matches on the card, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer taking on Hacksaw Jim Duggan. You know, Duggan... Everybody out there in TV land in the whole world, we all know how ugly you are. And when you stand there proud as a peacock looking around and all them crazy thousands of people are cheering. But did we know you were so stupid? It's time for a dog collar match. You think you're ugly now? Wait till I'm done here with you. I ain't never been beat by nobody in the whole world. I beat the junkyard dog. I beat them all. And now they say there's a new legend. His, head, his name is Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Well, I'm a legend killer, Jack. So you come on and put this around your neck and let's go to town. Now remember, this is Sawyer's specialty. The Hacksaw Jim Duggan has never backed away from the challenge. He'll be ready. He made this statement. Sure. It's your kind of match. A lot of people will say, Hacksaw, your knee may not be 100%. Your name may not be ready to jump right in there. Strap on his dog collar around your neck. Put that 10-foot steel log and chain in between, baby. Ring the bell. Tell the referee to get out of the way and go to war. Well, you people out there, you Mid-South, you my family, you know me better than that, baby. Buzz Sawyer, if you want to fight on top of a building, if you want to fight out in the parking lot, if you want to go to some bar and finish it with pool cues, it makes no difference. But we're going to do it your way. Saw collar, strap it on. Not my kind of match, baby. But like you know, Sawyer, you've been on me before, and I've come back. This time I'm going to finish you, tough guy. And there it was. They talked Sawyer's specialty. This match is no ordinary match, Roman. It's going to be a dog collar match. And Buzz says he ain't never been beat by nobody in the whole world in a dog collar match. And who in their right mind would want to get in the ring with the Mad Dog in a dog collar match? This sounds like a death <laughs> march right there. Well, that's the key word there. Who in their right mind? Hacksaw Jim Duggan has never professed to be in his right mind. So <laughs> away we go. These guys have had some really classics already. There's a couple of dog collar matches that they had out there. And uh, they're, they were just as brutal as you might imagine. Those guys, they weren't trying to kill each other, but they had no problem laying it in. No, and I'm sure there was some crimson flowing as well. Oh, yeah. Show goes on throwback to last year at the Irish McNeil Boys Club. It's Terry Taylor defeating Hacksaw Higgins. And then a real throwback to when Ted DiBiase was the North American champion. We see him going over on another former champion, the grappler, Len Denton here. 
on this episode of Power Pro. Boy, they're all over the place. And then it's time for more localized promos. Again, February 23rd at the Lakefront Arena. This time, no disqualification. Got a soundbite queued up. It's Dick Slater taking on Jake the Snake Roberts. What a rotten deal. Of course I'm happy about having the North American Heavyweight Championship title right back around my waist. But all of a sudden, right back to the same old story, Jake Roberts, Mid-South has protected you ever since I've climbed in a ring with you. Now i got to put Journey where she doesn't want to be in a cage hanging up like a monkey. And I know you don't want to be in a cage. I know right where you want to be, don't you? I want to be right with you. Well, I want you to be right with me, too. But see, Jake Roberts, the cards are stacked in your favor. Well, see, Journey has never done anything to you at all, and all of a sudden she's up in a cage. Well, Jake Roberts, the North American title's up, the DDT's legal, and I'm going to have to fight you, and I'm going to be the better man. Well, those comments, uh, I can't believe he stood there and said she's never interfered. Well, Jake Roberts also had a statement about this situation. Let's hear this. You know, in my lifetime, a lot of people have walked beside me, Dick Slater. But you know they walked alone because a lot of people don't know me like they think they do. Now I've pushed you to the limit. Look what I did to your woman. Hmm. She does look good at times. I got to give the girl that. But you see, girl, you lined up on the wrong side of the fence. You picked the wrong man to walk beside. So let's put you in a cage. And Slater, if you want me so bad, and I know you got to want me by now, <laughs> let's put the North American title up. No disqualification. That way you can do anything you want. And I've always done what I wanted. What do you say, tough guy? Try me. Well, an interesting situation is developing here. Dark Journey will be high above the ring in a steel cage. She's not going to interfere. There's not going to be any disqualifications. So they're going to settle it once and for all, and that will happen on Sunday night. All right, and so we learn Dark Journey going to be in a shark cage at ringside, and this one going to be for the North American title, but we don't know who the champion is yet here on February the 23rd. Yeah, and the thing is, just because she's in a shark cage doesn't mean she can't help her man win. You know, we've seen that in the past with other managers where they'll throw something from the cage into the ring. But uh, just a visual of her in a shark cage, I know, got the fans excited. And then from there, it's more throwback action, this time from New Orleans Municipal Auditorium. In the fall of 85, we see Jake the Snake Roberts teaming with Hacksaw Jim Duggan over the team of Lord Humongous and El Corsario. Blast from the past. It seems like so long ago those guys were here now. And it wasn't that long ago. Humongous was just here maybe less than two months ago. Also on Power Pro, it was Dick Slater scoring an easy win over Steve Constance here from Oklahoma City in the Myriad. And then more localized promos from there before we're back for one final match on Power Pro. It's a VTR yet again of the Fabulous Ones with a squash win from Memphis. I believe their opponents were Frank Morell, and I didn't catch the other guy's name. But the, the Fabs are now here in the Mid-South, briefly anyway. Very short run in the Mid-South, and that's one that I wish would have been a little bit longer. As we move on to the following week, February 22nd, tape back February 11th, a new set of tapings now, this time at the Myriad in Oklahoma City. Jim Ross and Joel Watts on commentary as we get a re-confirmation that the Crockett Cup is coming to the Mid-South Territory. Then to the ring, Jim Ross standing by with a special interview with Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert. Let's listen. Ladies and gentlemen, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert would like to take this opportunity to make a statement and several important announcements surrounding his career in 1986. That's right. I want everyone to listen to this very good. 
Now, Jim Ross, you're a very intelligent man. I got to say that. You are. And you know that I told everyone in Mid-South, I told all the wrestling fans that 1985 was going to be my year. And it was. And now, as 1986 comes ahead, well, hot stuff, Eddie Gilbert has one of the greatest announcements ever. I am voluntarily, Jim Ross, at the age of 24 years old, I'm stepping down from the wrestling ring, and I'm announcing my retirement today. That seems to make everyone extremely happy. What predicated this announcement? I just knew you were going to ask me that. Well, first of all, look behind me. I have a 280-pound Mongolian, and I have a man that we'll be seeing later, a 300-pound Russian by the name of Korchenko. And But last but not least, Jim, of course, as the year goes on, the best is yet to come. But also, the real reason behind my retirement, well, Jim, you know I've always been a kind of a classy guy with the women, right? Well, I have a new lady in my life, and that's really all I've got to say, because all i got to worry about is just wrestle when I want to, and I really don't have to. <laughs> that statement from Hot Stuff, Eddie Gilbert. And there it was, Roman. Eddie Gilbert announcing at the age of 24, my God, he's a young pup, as Jim Ross would say, Eddie Gilbert announcing his retirement from the wrestling ring, which won't last too long. Gilbert citing that he has a new lady in his life who will apparently act as his financial backer, his benefactor, his sugar mama. It's going to be Miss Bunny. What do you know about Miss Bunny, Roman? Nothing. (laughs) And the fact that Gilbert was saying he was going to retire at 24, even back then, that one seemed a little bit hard to believe. He was just too young, too talented. It just, like, why would he retire? Like, it just didn't, something, it just didn't add up. Yeah, it it didn't last too long. Uh, Spoiler alert, guys, for those who don't know. But, uh, yeah, it just, uh, it seems odd. And then at the end of the promo, Eddie Gilbert even says, now I can wrestle when I want. So it's like you just announced your retirement, but now you're saying that, well, if I ever decide to wrestle, I still can, even though I'm retired. But I don't need to anymore because I have this lady over here, this mysterious Miss Bunny, who's uh, uh, financially backing him. This, this story doesn't last too long, but it's really interesting. And uh, Bill Watts on commentary at some point. I don't remember when it is around this time, though. He's playing into the, uh, the whole uh, shift in the country, the male gigolos, if you will, using the sugar mamas to get by on. It wasn't like Bill Watts' days when, when the man worked and the woman, you know, well, you know Bill Watts' uh, theories. Yeah, the, the Eddie Gilbert thing, I'm glad they dropped that pretty soon. Uh, none of that really made sense to me, and I'm glad they did away with that angle pretty quickly. Well, I, you know, I, I have to imagine this is just the Jim Cornette mamas thing all over again. It's just they didn't want to do the exact same story again, so they, they turned the mother into the, the sugar mama, if you will. Yeah, but with Cornette, it seemed believable and right. he seemed like the little whiny spoiled bratty kid like that you would want to go to the matches and see him get beat up or whatever with gilbert it, it didn't seem as believable yeah gilbert was uh, clearly an established wrestler by this point and it did seem like i don't know if it was bill watts i don't know if it was just terry taylor i don't know if it was a little bit of eddie gilbert but we saw him do that general eddie gilbert stuff back in 85 and now here he is again a manager again and i have no problem with eddie playing a mouthpiece for some of these guys they need it especially some of the guys he's managing during this time period. But uh, I just it's hard to see Eddie just retiring from the ring, like you said. Well, especially for the longtime fans that remember him getting the swinging neck breaker done to him on the concrete floor by the mass superstar, you know, and just everything he had been through and overcame and 
just to throw it away a couple years later is yeah. But you know, Gilbert was a good mouthpiece. I mean, let's face it. I don't know of many people that would want to hear Korchenko cut a promo. Yeah. We'll be getting to him very soon here. So we've seen the sheep herders in action a couple times now, and they seem to get the best of the, the enhancement guy uh, who seems to start the matches uh, when they take on the sheep herders. But it's going to be a little different here this week. We're going to see how this plays out when Luke and Butch, the sheep herders, take on the team of Ricky Gibson and Al Perez. No job guy in this one. The sheep's going to have to work a little bit harder here for the win here this week. Uh, they work over Al Perez briefly before Perez tagging out to Ricky Gibson here. Gibson in with a dropkick on Luke, but then he runs into the ropes and eats a knee to the back from Butch on the apron, and almost immediately it's a double gut buster. And just like that, wow, the Sheep Herders picking up the win. One little mistake, and the Sheep Herders take advantage and get the win in just two minutes and seven seconds. And talk about really trying to push a new team. Not only do they get a pin here against Perez and Gibson, but they do it in two minutes' time. And this is why protecting people like Perez and Gibson, it means something when they finally lose here, when they're finally defeated. And now the Herders, they look like monsters, title contenders for sure. And I thought this was a great way to get the Sheep Herders over. You know, Ricky Gibson was an established tag wrestler. Al Perez, a former tag champion. So these weren't two slouches that they beat, and they they dominated them. And, you know, in short fashion, uh, you know, in under three minutes, they took care of two accomplished tag wrestlers. Yeah, and these guys were not doing jobs every week, even in competitive matches against the likes of Superstar Murdoch and, and some other teams as well. They were ending in disqualifications rather than uh, putting Sawyer, Perez, Gibson, guys like that down. And here this week, though, they go down in two minutes flat here to the Sheep Herders, really putting them over. Good booking. You know, what a great way to get the team over. They're already hated with the fans, and now they come in and they're dominating uh, established teams, you know, established wrestlers. So, uh, yeah, that was good booking, the way how they handled them. Yeah, and that has to establish them as uh, future tag team title contenders for sure. And speaking of the tag team titles, up next, tag team titles on the line is the champions Ted DiBiase and Dr. Death Steve Williams going to take on the team of Dick Murdoch and the masked superstar. We'll call this one number two again, as it is Kelly Kaniski in here. And the baby faces own the heels early on, sending them out to the floor to regroup. Then once back inside, superstar Kaniski and Dr. Death get down across the ring from one another in football stances and charge at one another. The outcome, Roman? Doc easily winning there, plowing over the faux superstar with a pair of football-like tackles. Dickie yeah, Mur you weren't going to get the best of Doc in a football, you know, squaring off in a football stance. And yeah, Doc was going to come out ahead in that exchange. Yeah, it, it seemed rather silly to take Doc on in a uh, well, a charge of sorts, two football tackles, uh, Going at one another, the offense and the defense, Dr. Death going to win pretty much every time, certainly here against Kelly Kaniski. As Dick Murdoch finally tagging into the match and taking over on Dr. Death, the heels gain the advantage, and it's Superstar landing that swinging neckbreaker and a knee drop going to get him a two count here. But Dr. Death makes the hot tag out to Ted DiBiase, and Teddy comes in unloading on Dick Murdoch with the power slam and locking in the figure four leg lock as Murdoch screaming in pain. Superstar rushing in for the save, but Dr. Death plowing him over again, and Kaniski going flying through the ropes out to the floor, a great spot. And Dickie Murdoch in trouble in that figure four, when out of nowhere, a second masked superstar hits the ring. What the? And this masked superstar, this is the real masked superstar, by the way, Bill Eady, dropping an elbow on Ted DiBiase. Referee Carl Fergie immediately calling for the disqualification, just about six minutes' time as Murdoch and both superstars 
then triple team the champions. Bill Eady, even with the loaded mask here, wiping out both Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase after the match. It was great to see the real mask superstar finally emerge and loading the mask and headbutting somebody. You know, if you think about it, you can't actually see what it is that they're putting in the mask. Right. As long as something's in there, it could be a comb, a handkerchief, whatever, just something protruding or sticking, you know, out of the mask and, right. you know, making the mask bulge out. You hit somebody, they can see that. Like, oh, there is something in the mask. He loaded the mask. He used a foreign object. And I just think that's a great visual. Yeah, and uh, it was really cool to see Edie back here as the superstar. He was out with a minor knee surgery, but he's back now. He's ready to go. And I love that they're playing up two masked superstars here. Instead of just getting rid of Kaniski, instead of saying, okay, Edie's back, you can go now, Kaniski, they said, well, let's have a little more fun with this. And I'm, I'm glad they made that call for the short term here. Mm-hmm. And I got to be clear here, Roman, for people who think that Jim Ross started selling shit in the Attitude Era, the, the newcomers to professional wrestling in the 90s into the 2000s, he was clearly doing it way back here in the Mid-South because Jim Ross just killing it here on commentary like Dr. Death and DiBiase were beaten half to death here. And what do you know? Bill Eady is back. And uh, man, just uh, the whole trio of Murdoch and the superstars are better for it. And now the tag team champions have two superstars to deal with on top of Dick Murdoch. You know, when we had talked a while back about doing this project of the Mid-South at UWF in 86, Mm -hmm. this was one of my favorite territories, one of my favorite times. And a big part of it was because of Jim Ross. Jim Ross knew how to put the product over. And uh, as great as the talent was, as great as the matches were, if they had an Ed Whalen or, you know, a David Crockett doing commentary on this, (laughs) it wouldn't have been nearly as good. You know, Jim Ross was a conduit to us fans, and he's part of the reason I like the Mid-South and the UWF. Yeah, he really sold the product. And, uh, you know, it it helps when you have a product to sell, which Bill Watts did, but but make no mistake about it, it was Jim Ross's commentary that really put it over the top. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. Ross is just, in my mind, he's the second best of all time. You know, I still revere Gordon Soley, but yeah, Jim Ross was the right man in the right spot, right time, right everything. Yeah, I've been doing Georgia 81 with Jamie Ward and Gordon Soley. I, I know Gordon Soley. I don't know him personally, but I mean, I know Gordon Soley's work and just listening to it at a different level now, even more appreciation than I had before. And I love Lance Russell, too. And, and, I, and I don't compare Lance to these guys because I don't know that Memphis was a quote unquote sport. At least it wasn't sold that way completely, you know. So Lance was a different animal, but I love Lance Russell. But I got to throw Jim Ross up there. Obviously, those are my top three. You know, if we can sidetrack for just a second, like with, with Gordon, it made me appreciate him more. I used to do play-by-play commentary for an independent league here. Mm-hmm. And there was one night when my partner had bronchitis and I had to do the commentary by myself. And let me tell you, that is hard. Oh, and yeah. Gordon did it on his own a lot and made it just as interesting at the end of the two hours as it was at the beginning. And that takes a special skill, a special kind of talent to do that. Yeah, sometimes, and not necessarily when Roddy Piper joined Gordon, but sometimes when Gordon would be joined by other people, I would groan because I just wanted to hear Gordon. You know, that's just how good he was. Yeah, yeah, I didn't want to hear Bob Roop with him. You know, it's like, no, Gordon's fine. Don't mind Piper coming out, but yeah, it's commentary. You got to have the right people or else it can lose your audience. And Mid-South going to continue on here with the Birdman, Coco Beware, taking on Sean O'Reilly here this week. And Coco's entrances are going as long as his matches, it feels like, uh, Roman. 
Obviously, given word from up top to play it up on the way out to the ring, interact with the fans and get himself over. As O'Reilly runs into a boot in the corner to begin things, and Coco straight up to the middle rope with a drop kick. Gonna get the win here in just 36 seconds. And boy, I tell you, Watts, he doesn't allow people to go to the top rope, but Coco Beware really making use of that middle rope. No problem at all. Yeah, and I didn't mind Coco's entrance because the fans got into it. Oh, yeah. You know, if they were sitting on their hands or if they were sitting on their hands or, you know, or going to the concession stands, whatever. But when he came out, they were dancing, they were clapping, they were into it. So I didn't mind him hamming it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, it wasn't as long as the Fantastics getting to the ring, which, (laughs) you know, you you could have broke. (laughs) <laughs> you could have rotated your tires by the time the Fantastics got to the ring, you know, yeah, yeah. but Coco was, uh, crowd was into him at that time. Yeah. And a lot of people probably think that the whole bird dance and all of that stuff started. And, and I get why in the WWF because of Frankie and because, well, it's more cartoony than the normal uh, wrestling you might expect, but now he was doing the bird all the way back here in mid South. Obviously it plays into the song, the bird Morris day in the times, the bird, but also it was just Coco's deal here, even back, and the Mid-South Wrestling before he jumps over to the World Wrestling Federation later on here in 1986. But like you said, man, he was over with the crowd. They were all around him, dancing with him, getting up on him. It was it was good times when Coco Beware came out to the ring. And he was trimmer then. He, yes. You know, his stint in the WWF, he could move around. He was quicker. Uh, he's somebody that had they been able to hang on to and had Coco stayed in shape, it would have been kind of fun to see what he could have done in the UWF. Yeah, you know, I think the only thing holding Coco back was his height at the end of the day. Just right. Really, he had yeah. everything else. Everything else. Yeah, but, you know, it's, it's one of those guys you put him with the right opponent, you know, like like him and an Eddie Gilbert or somebody, oh, yeah. you know, kind of in the same stature. They could have had some good matches. And we'll continue on here. Up next, it's the debut of Korstia Korchenko with his manager, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, going to take on Perry Jackson here. And so the Chiron reads Korstia. But the ring announcer and Jim Ross call him Corsita, and he was here years earlier for a cup of coffee as Vladik Smirnov, so make of his name what you will here. It's Korchenko with an odd haircut with lines of hair over his ears, bald on the top, a singlet with a red Soviet communist CCCP shirt underneath to hide his excess flesh, as Bob Roop would say, and uh, giant furry boots all the way up to his knees. Hey guys, it's cold in Russia. And uh, at first glance here, Roman, I was not impressed. I didn't buy into this at all. And I can't believe Bill Watts was behind this, at least for the short term. And oh, yeah. Did I mention, guys, that not very good in the ring either? It's a shoulder breaker. Going to get Korchenko the win here in just over a minute. But ugh, no thanks. Yeah, his look was weird. And uh, I don't know. You, you might know more about it than I do, Ray. I don't know the backstory. Uh, did he know somebody? Uh, how did he break into wrestling? You know, was he friends with somebody or what was? What was his deal? You know, I don't know a whole lot about him outside of the business, but I know he's on Facebook. I think he's a Facebook friend of mine. I just don't know what kind of answer we would get if I asked him, but I don't, I don't really know what was going on here because again, he was in very briefly. I don't even remember the year, maybe around 82, 83, something like, cause he started in the late seventies. So you think by now he'd be a little bit better here, but uh, he's also very bulked up by 86 compared to what I saw him around the 82, 83 ish time period. But uh, even then, he wasn't, you know, he was doing jobs and things. So just one of those competitive preliminary type guys. And now he's getting another shot here. He's bulked up. He's Korchenko. Unfortunately, it doesn't really transfer over into his wrestling ability. And I love the idea of Eddie Gilbert leading a faction. But so far, this this group just ain't it. 
a pair of overweight guys, Taurus Balba, now Korchenko, both of them with foreign gimmicks and very minuscule repertoires and moves from both of them. They're almost identical, other than Korchenko is a lot taller than Balba. So I'm not impressed so far with Hot Stuff International or, or whatever you want to call them at this point, but that'll change as we roll on. But ugh, man, this is 0 for 2 here for me and Hot, and hot Stuff's group so far. Yeah, well, if, if Gilbert's come into all this money or whatever from <laughs> Bad Bunny or Big Bunny or what, Honey Bunny or whatever name it, you figured he would have got some guys with some better talent. Well, he didn't say how much money Bunny had, so he maybe 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 he's he's buying what he can and then pocketing the rest. Gil, Gilbert, he's not stupid; he's he's saving the rest. You know, maybe that's what's going on here. So we go we go on more action in the ring, tag team action here. Brett Wayne Sawyer teaming with the new up and comer Dave Peterson, also known as DJ Peterson in the AWA. They're going to take on the team of Mike Scott and Rob Ricksteiner here. As Peterson shows off his potential here early on, good looking, good size, pretty impressive in the ring for his uh, caliber of expertise at this point. But it looks like Sawyer could be in trouble as he gets in the ring, but he's on the wrong side of the ring, the heel side, and they take over. But a blind tag to Peterson comes flying back in with the Thez press on Mike Scott, and the babyface is just like that, going to go over in four minutes and seven seconds. And Peterson, just one of those guys you have to wonder what really happened, Roman. Just he never made it. And then sadly passing away at only 33 years old to a motorcycle accident. Yeah. He was one of those guys that had the look, you know, and there was just kind of like the Al Perez thing that we've talked about, you know, you think he would be better than what he was and it just never really panned out, you know? And, uh, now we know how Houston Astros pitcher, Mike Scott stayed busy in the off season. (laughs) He teamed with Rick Steiner. That could be Uh, a different Mike Scott. I'm sorry. This is. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I agree with you. I could, I could lump Peterson in there. I mean, obviously, I think Perez is on another level, but uh, just talents that had the look, they were they were good in the ring. Peterson wasn't bad in the ring. He wasn't mechanical, even if you know he had a physique on him. He was still able to move around, take good bumps. He looked good. I just I don't know what happened there. Never really made it past that AWA level here. And I mean, late 80s AWA guys, so... Yeah, that's, that's where we're at with DJ Peterson. But here he's Dave Peterson in Mid-South, and Bill Watts gives him a few wins here, as we'll, we'll see over the next few weeks. Yeah, he threw him a bone, you know, to try to get him over with the crowd a little bit. Yeah, he just never materialized. He went to the AWA and teamed with JT Southern, and, and they, they tried to make a, a little bit of a big deal about him, but uh, just didn't work. And, uh, man, I, I keep saying it, but the action continues here. A, a, another loaded show this week is the matches. They just keep coming as we're back to the ring. This time it's Hacksaw Jim Duggan taking on Gustavo Mendoza. And you know old Hacksaw. He's looking for a piece of any foreign menace he can find, much less one who wears a jacket to the ring that simply reads, Nuclear Weapons. Uh-oh, tough guy. Duggan's first TV match since his knee injury, knee surgery, Flings Mendoza outside the ring, works him over on the floor, and once back inside, it's kind of a, eh, I'm going to call it the way I see it, a half-assed spear here, Roman. Uh, maybe Duggan testing out that knee after surgery, I suppose. But Duggan going to pick up the win here in a minute and 49 seconds. But he did hit a really hard clothesline in that match. True that. You know, if you get a chance to go back and watch that, he, he leveled him with that clothesline. So, uh, but Duggan's back. He's back in the ring. And, uh, well, I didn't really expect Gustavo to get too much offense in here this week. And that, that didn't disappoint. But I just uh, found it hilarious that I'm watching Mr. USA himself, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, getting into the ring with a guy with a jacket that reads nuclear weapons. Just it, the story writes itself. <laughs> yeah, that was easy. But it's a, 
it was always nice to see uh, Gustavo Mendoza in the ring. It, as you guys can tell out there that are listening to the podcast, I think they're one of one of our favorite jobbers or enhancement talents. You know, he always brought a little something to the table. Sure. As the show rolls on, it's another localized promo for February 23rd in the Lakefront Arena. This time, Dick Murdoch standing by with both Masked Superstars. They talk their upcoming title shot with Dr. Death and Ted DiBiase. And then on the other side, we're going to hear from the champions as well. Now, right here in New Orleans on Sunday night, February 23rd, Lakefront Arena, the Mid-South Tag Titles on the line with some strange stipulations. Let's hear this from the challengers. You know, DiBiase and Doc, I can't believe that you finally had the stipulations, mass versus titles, to get you in the ring and finally put them up. And any other stipulation, the disqualification counts as a pinfall. Boy, you talk about stacking a deck against a superstar and Dick Murdoch. You talk about stacking a deck. But let me tell you something, DiBiase and Doc. Look to my right and look to my left. You don't know what superstar it's going to be. It's going to be Katie Bar the door. You know, some time ago, Murdoch and I sat down and we thought of all the possibilities that these two gentlemen could come up with. We also thought about this one. There's no way you can prepare for it. It might be me. It might be the other superstar. Pick your poison, boys. Pick your poison. You better be ready because you don't know what's going to happen to you. The champions are ready, and they made this statement. Our title's Dick Murdoch up against the mask of your superstar. The way I see that, we've got a lot more at stake in this match than you do because we have our livelihood and our bread and butter to lose, and your partner's got a mask to lose. But it's worth us to take the chance, Dick Murdoch, because we want to know who we're dealing with. We want to know who the mass superstar is or who the real mass superstar is because whoever that was that hit the ring there can only be one and we want to find out who the other guy is now pinfalls disqualifications count as pinfalls what that means doc is we got to keep our composure right and you murdoch if you go like you've been going and getting disqualified to get out of things then it's going to cost your partner his mask so it's going to be down and dirty any way you want it but we've stood tall and we're going to remain tall all right, so there it was. We learned that it, that it's going to be a superstar's mask versus the tag team titles, and disqualifications will count as pinfalls in this title match, so they play it up. Which superstar is it going to be? It's going to be Dick Murdoch and one of the mask superstars taking on the tag team champions. And DiBiase says, yeah, the mask is on the line, and they want to know who they're dealing with and who the real mask superstar is, but it's the champion's livelihood that's also on the line, so... Their livelihood, being the champions, the money they make to put the food on the table, still far more important to them than, than a guy's mask, but they still want that mask on the line. Unmask one of these superstars, and for good reason. I'll get to that after I uh, get your feedback. Well, even if they are able to unmask one, there's still another one waiting in the wings, you know? Right. So they could have been at a disadvantage, but I was such a fan of the mask superstar that I'm not going to say it tarnishes legacy or anything like that, but it just. It sucks that there was somebody else going under that moniker, because to me, there's always just the one mass superstar. The way they handled this, you know, any in any other situation, I'd agree with you, but I kind of enjoyed this. It just added another level, like, how long can we keep the mass superstar here? Oh, you gave him something to do. And and so that in that respect, I didn't mind it, but obviously the mask on the line, we know Bill Eady isn't going to unmask, so it's going to be Kelly Kaniski doing the job here in this matchup against the tag team champions and unmasking as Kelly Kaniski in uh, the lakefront arena and pretty much any other uh, city they were going through at this time. And the reason for that come to find out is that when Bill Eady returned, he wasn't happy much like you Roman, that there was another mask superstar. I'm not saying he didn't give them the okay to run this angle, but by the end of the spring, he was headed back to Japan 
and he made a demand to Bill Watts that before I leave for this tour of Japan, I want this other masked superstar unmasked. There will only be me before I leave here to go back to Japan. He didn't want this to continue on. And so it was actually Bill Eady that basically made this demand, forcing this type of stipulation in order to create a reason for this other masked superstar to have a short-lived career as one, uh, being Kelly Kaniski. And it's unfortunate, too, because at the end of this run, Kelly Kaniski retires from the business forever. Wow, I, I did not know that. You taught me something uh, that's pretty cool to hear, though, that Superstar stood his ground. And, you know, it sucks about Kaniski having to retire. But, uh, yeah, that's pretty interesting that he cared about his name. Even if he was in Japan, he didn't want anybody riding his coattails. So Kelly and Nick Kaniski, the sons of former NWA world champion Gene Kaniski, for those who don't know, Nick Kaniski was the blonde. He was kind of beefier. Maybe he looked a little better. He just got over better. But the story always was that, that Kelly was the one that wanted to be a wrestler. He busted his ass. He got these little pushes here and there, but he never really made it. Meanwhile, Nick Kaniski, he didn't really even want to be here. Uh, at least that's the stories I've heard. Uh, to the point where he really put in a lot of effort. He even makes it to the WWF, does Nick Kaniski here, in 1987 for about a half a, half a year before uh, he gets fired. I don't really know if there was some no-showing there or showing up late or, or what the deal was, but he doesn't really do a whole lot. And then just based on his size and his look, Nick Kaniski gifted a shot and opportunity in the World Wrestling Federation. Meanwhile, Kelly was busting his ass for a good half dozen years here, and just it never came to fruition for him. And I think... You know, what was he doing before this? Not a whole lot. Then all of a sudden he gets lumped into this major angle here with the Masked Superstar and Dick Murdoch and the Mid-South Tag Team Champions. And Edie comes back and kind of takes it away from him. And I'm not trying to make Edie the villain here. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just saying I see Kaniski's point of view like, you know what? I'm just done. I'm done. They finally, like, I finally got something handed to me. That's taken away from me. I need to go find something else to do. You know, and you can't blame Kaniski for being a part of it, you know, that was his, his big break. So right. if somebody comes to you and says, Hey, we're going to give you a push. We're going to do that. You know, it'd be kind of hard to say no to that. Totally agree. Totally agree. But yeah, just some, um, some um, context there to the whole story, the backstory. Anyway, what was going on behind the scenes? Yes. Things, politics were even going on way back in 1986 guys. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting though. I'm glad you shared that story. Cause I did not know the, the backstory of that. And uh, show going to conclude here, a TV main event of epic proportions as Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express, going to take on the fabulous ones of Stan Lane and Steve Kern. A true dream match randomly thrown together here on TV, of all places, not even built up. And the Rock and Roll is going to play the baby faces, the fabs, of course, the heels. And Rock and Roll Express coming out to the ring to old time rock and roll. And I don't know about you, Roman, but I still prefer Rock and Roll is King. Yeah, I'll agree with that. <laughs> so the match begins and the Rock and Roll Express dominating the first six minutes of the matchup until Robert Gibson winds up near the wrong corner and catches a knee to the back from Stan Lane on the apron. From there, referee Tommy Gilbert gets distracted by Ricky Morton, allowing the Fabs to double-team Gibson behind the official's back. Then the Fabs in control of Robert Gibson, but he comes battling back, and we get our first hot tag out to Ricky Morton, and Morton taking it to both Fabs, putting the Rock and Rolls back in control for the moment. Robert Gibson eventually tagging back in, but cracking heads with Stan Lane, both men down on the mat, and we're, we're out of time, Roman. The show going to end nine minutes and 20 seconds of this match shown here on TV, but Roman, you've made it a point to reveal that the full match is available 
The full match aired over in Japan on the World Pro Wrestling Program many years back. And thanks to you, Roman, for sending that DVD to me, a copy of that matchup. I got to watch it, and I really enjoyed it. The match actually goes another six and a half minutes, making the total bout approximately 16 minutes in total. And for a bonus here, Roman, I hope you don't mind. I'll tell the guys what happened at the end of the matchup. Go ahead. So the rest of the match goes like this. Remember, they were both down on the mat, and with both men down, the TV ended. Robert Gibson, though, makes a tag back to Ricky Morton, but the Fabs wind up taking over again, forcing Ricky Morton to play. Ricky Morton faced some peril there. Down and working him over on the mat until Morton busts out an enziguri on Stan Lane, and everything breaks down into a four-way melee. And the Fabs once again setting up for that top rope demolition decapitation type move. It's the only way I can describe it. Steve Kern placing Ricky Morton over his knee. Stan Lane going to the top rope, ready to drop that knee. But Robert Gibson back in, tossing Stan Lane off the top rope. And it's a double drop kick from the Rock and Roll Express. And they're going to pick up the win. Fun matchup. And thanks for sending the video. My pleasure. And one of the cool things was that when they showed that match before they went off the air, they showed about nine or ten minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah, in the past, they would show main event matches, and there'd be times the guy would climb through the ropes to get in the ring, and they're rolling the credits. And you're like, no! You know, I, I know it was always have the have them wanting more. You know, let's let's give them a little bit, but not too much. But they showed nine minutes, and, and what I saw the first nine minutes, I enjoyed. Never thought I would see the end of it. And then, you know, with the tape trading and DVDs, and, you know, I'm big time into that. I was able to get my hands on a match, and I go, wait a minute, that's the conclusion of that Mid-South match. So <laughs> right. I was able to see the whole thing, and uh, the Mark and me was, was pretty happy because, like you said, that's a dream matchup that they did not build up. But to actually see the finish and see how it played out was kind of cool to see. We'll get to see the Rock and Rolls wrestle Stan Lane a million more times as the Midnight Express and the Heavenly Bodies, but... Just a different dynamic here with Steve Kern, who could really go at this point. And Stan Lane, he did a whole lot more when he was part of the Fabulous Ones. As time went on, Stan learned he didn't have to do so much. <laughs> no offense, Stan. I, I was all, a huge Stan Lane fan, as anybody I knew growing up would tell you. But uh, Stan here is a Fabulous One, just a different level. Climbing to the top rope, throwing, you know, knee drops off the top. Stan Lane wasn't doing that later on in his career. No, you know, and he was the, I guess, the right contrast for Bobby Eaton. You know, Bobby was the the workhorse, but as part of the Midnight Express, Stan was the more, uh, I don't know if flamboyant's the right word, right. but he would kind of dance and you know, try to make the girls happy. But he was still a great worker, you know, but he was a little more, of, like you said, of a showman with the Midnights, whereas the Fabulous Ones, it was more kind of, all right, let's, let's go take it to the heels tonight. And as you said, you know, the show ended in the middle of the match. We got a good chunk of it here, though, on TV. But that was commonplace to end the show, like you pointed out, during a matchup. Uh, if you want to see the winner, guys, of a match this big, you're going to have to attend the live events. That was basically the idea behind it. Right. Always have them wanting more, you know, and, oh, shoot, if I went to the matches, I could have seen the whole thing, you know. But for somebody like me that lived thousands of miles away, mm -hmm. there was no way I could go to those matches. So when they cut it off before you saw the finish, gosh, that was annoying. <laughs> it really was. but. The product was so good, I kept coming back for more, though. And unfortunately, and we already touched on this just a little bit, I'm also saddened to report that this match here, the Fabs versus the Rock and Roll Express, also marks the end of the fabulous ones here in the Mid-South Territory. It feels like their buildup lasted longer than their actual run here, and it's unfortunate, and I'm not sure 
what went wrong here, but probably a little bit of it had to do with the uh, Mid-South travel, I'd have to think. Yeah, and I had heard around that time that Steve Kern got into real estate. Um, I know he took some time off for a little bit before he went back to Florida, but uh, that might have had something to do with it. But it sucked that it was short-lived, you know, because in that territory, the Fabs, even as heels, you know, I'm so used to his faces, but even as heels, I I think they could have made a a big mark in the Mid-South UWF area. Yeah, and Kern taking that time off, it it worked out for Stan Lane. You know, they found, you know, Cornette came and found something for him to do. So at, at the end of the day, it worked out. Stan Lane had a long career after that. And Steve Kern, hey, he, he got to be Skinner. <laughs> I, I, I'll have to ask him. I don't know how proud he is of the Skinner gimmick. Kern was a great talent, you know, and uh, for him to... Do the Skinner gimmick. I don't know. It was just a big step down for me. Yeah, he's a great guy. And by all accounts, that he, you know, he was a uh, a businessman at the end of the day, too. You know, the story goes, WrestleMania 8, that the Natural Disasters and Money Incorporated match went much longer than it was supposed to, uh, which is unfortunate. And they did it intentionally. So they were going to shorten the British Bulldog versus Berserker match down to about a minute. And they come and tell Davey Boy, you know, your match is no longer six minutes or whatever. It's one minute. And Bulldog said, I don't do one minute matches. And Steve Kern stands up and says, I do. And that's how we got Owen Hart defeating Skinner in about a minute there at WrestleMania eight. At least that's the Kern's version of the story. Anyway. Hey, if your pay's the same, what's I'd rather work one minute and get a, get the same payday than work six. You know, yeah. what's it, what's it matter? As long as you're getting the same pay, I'm not skipping, you know, a WrestleMania payday of all the paydays of the year. Uh, because of an ego of how many minutes I'm in the ring. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing. It's mania. You know, you're, you're going to get a decent hunk of change. So yeah. wh- why not do it? Absolutely. So one last piece of TV here this week for the show on regional wrestling. It's Power Pro for February 23rd. Jim Ross hosting again. We kick things off with a fun little matchup. Dave Peterson defeating Gustavo Mendoza with the Thez Press. And I'm probably in the minority here, but I love little matches like this. Two preliminary guys getting it on here just to see who's better. If you get the right guys, yeah, it can definitely be fun to watch, you know, and those two would be able to put on a competitive match. They both knew what they were doing. So, yeah, that's that's not a bad match to have on TV. Also here on Power Pro from Jim Crockett Promotions, it's new world tag team champions, the Midnight Express, picking up a win over Rocky King and the Italian Stallion. Then it's a 1985 throwback match from the Houston promotion. North American champion Dick Murdoch scoring a win over Al Perez. Up next, we head into a commercial break as we get an ad for Super Pro Wrestling. Going to come back to that in just a few minutes, Roman. Going to finish out Power Pro first as we uh, go to another matchup from Houston, this time December 29th, 1985. It's Hector and Chavo Guerrero over the Fabulous Ones. And closing out Power Pro this week, we see Dr. Death, Steve Williams, and Ted DiBiase scoring a win over Brody Chase and Bob Brown. Not Bulldog, but rather the jacked-up version. Of Bob Brown there. There's a couple of Bob Browns running around wrestling here in the 1980s. Like we said some before, some of those Power Pro shows, you know, you'd find a hidden gym in there, and then other times you'd have a match. Like, why are they showing this? Right. So last week, Ross was talking to the Rock and Rolls. This week, we see footage of the Midnight Express as the NWA World Tag Team Champions. So they're getting some of the Crockett guys here, familiarizing the local fans with who they are. Not that they haven't seen these teams before, but maybe there's some new fans here in 1986. Exactly. And you don't want it to be out of sight, out of mind. So, you know, it's good. Like you said, the Crockett Cup's coming up. You got to start showcasing some of these tag teams because, hey, you're trying to sell tickets. 
I mean, it's at the Superdome and everything. You're trying to sell tickets, so it makes no sense to advertise people that people have never seen before. You know, put them on TV, let them see what they can do. Oh, yeah, I absolutely agree with that one. You know, I want to get back to this commercial break I was talking about here, a super pro wrestling commercial. And I actually put this up on my YouTube channel for those uh, curious enough to want to check it out. It's featuring Colonel Buck Robley as uh, apparently this outlaw promotion featuring Buck Robley. Of course, he's the booker and he's clearly found himself a money market would appear uh, also listed here for the upcoming cards as part of super pro wrestling in the Louisiana area. It's going to be the assassin, Jody Hamilton, Mike George, Ted and Jerry Oates, King Cobra, Alexis Smirnoff, Skandor Akbar. It's listed as the California hippie and grenade boyer. Pretty sure that's the same guy. Uh, Mr. Wrestling 2 coming in also. And then a few interesting names here I wanted to run by you, Roman, including Bobby Duncombe, who was really clinging on to whatever he could back in 85. I don't have any results of him here in 1986, so uh, pretty interesting to see they pulled Bobby Duncombe back into the ring here. I don't think they had to twist his arm. Clearly, he's still looking for work, but just a couple of names that really caught my eye. Bobby Duncombe, one of them. Yeah, one half of the Black and Blue Express, and uh, I guess he's trying to get a payday like everybody else. This name, this one really threw me off. Bull Ramos, who I hadn't heard from like since maybe 1981, maybe 82, outside of popping back up in Portland somewhere around 90, 91. Ramos, um, is he a friend of Buck Robley? I don't know here because it just seems odd. Apache Bull Ramos here in 1986. Yeah, that is a little peculiar. And one last name for you here, Roman. I'm going to see if this one, uh, you're familiar with this one. A fellow by the name of David L. Roth. And I don't believe that L stands for Lee either. David L. Roth, uh, perhaps the money mark, I'd have to imagine. The only guy listed on the uh, the card that I've never heard of. Uh, does anybody out there know anything about this David L. Roth? Do you Have you ever heard of this guy? No, no clue. And I wonder, what, was it a take on David Lee Roth, who was hot at the time, you know? Right, right. Was it a guy with long blonde hair? Or Yeah, I don't know anything about this David L. Roth. Were they trying to draw you in, just leaving the abbreviation there so that maybe two people thought, what if it's really, nah, it couldn't be. But they show up anyway just to make sure. That would, that would have been very interesting. <laughs> I would have loved to have seen how this guy dressed his attire to the ring for sure. Was he playing off that David Lee Roth character? Who knows? Yeah, it'd be interesting. All right, and we're going to close out this edition of Regional Wrestling. Going to take a look at one more show down in the Houston territory here at the Sam Houston Coliseum on February the 28th, drawing just 4,025 fans. Light draw here for Houston. Seems a little odd, but what a card. What's wrong with these people not coming out for the show? Look at some of the matches here, including eight-man tag team action with Ted DiBiase, Dr. Death Steve Williams, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, and Terry Taylor. Wow, what a Survivor Series type team that would have made. Taking on the quartet of Dick Murdoch, Mad Dog Buzz Sawyer, and the Masks Superstars 1 and 2. Bill Eady and Kelly Kaniski. What a matchup there. Babyface is going over. DiBiase, Doc Duggan, and Taylor getting the win there. And they had built up to that. Previously on Houston Wrestling, they had mm -hmm. a six-man match, and then, you know, everybody jumped in. So, you know, it had built up to that. Yeah, and it is kind of surprising that there was only 4,000 people in attendance. Makes you wonder what else was going on. Was there a rock concert? Was there a sporting event? Was there something else going on? Because that does seem like a low attendance figure. It's uh, funny you mentioned that. We'll we'll talk about that at the end of this uh, these results here. But 
And that's just the theory I have anyway. But uh, I want to go back to this eight man. You pointed out they, they told a great story here because it all started with the tag team matchup. It was uh, Doc and DiBiase taking on, I believe it was the superstar and Dick Murdoch. And then Buzz Sawyer and Duggan ran in, which created a six man tag team match at the following event. And uh, it, people just kept running in in these matches until we're up here to a big eight man now. And finally uh, resolving the issues here with the baby faces going over really well told story over a couple months time here in the Houston territory and a really fun match. No doubt about it. Seeing all these guys out there together. Yeah. And uh, it's on one of the Houston wrestling DVDs I have. And uh, yeah, it's fun to see stories build like that, you know, to make you want to come back the next time. And uh, they did a good job with that. Also here as promised, the fabulous ones are back in Houston. So we get our Texas tornado steel cage match. Going to finish up the feud here between the fabs and the Guerrero's. And it is Chavo and Hector Guerrero defeating the Fabulous Ones with a top rope spike pile driver. One of the Guerreros coming off the top rope, the other holding Stan Lane in a pile driver to end the feud once and for all as the Fabs are gone from Mid-South and now the Fabs also gone from the Houston territory as well. Fun feud we've had going on here. Seven matches, I believe, between the Guerreros and the Fabulous Ones dating back to the latter half of December. And they did a lot in a short period of time. You know, like you said, seven matches you know uh, different stipulations different things that would make you want to come out and see it and uh yeah they got a lot done in a short period of time yeah we had the mexican death match we had the uh, loser gets painted yellow lots of stuff leading up to the steel cage match here with the blow off didn't disappoint fun matchup on the card but everybody came for the big one the main event here it is title versus title no disqualification dark journey in a shark cage here As the North American champion, Dick Slater, remember he regained that title back on February 23rd from Jake Roberts. He's going to take on the television champion, Jake Roberts, both belts on the line, champion versus champion. Title for title, says Vince McMahon. It's the ultimate challenge all the way back here in 1986. And it is Dick Slater defeating Jake the Snake Roberts. Dickie Slater going to backdrop Jake over the top rope out to the floor, which is normally a disqualification here, but it's a no DQ match. And as the groggy Roberts crawls back into the ring, Slater off the middle rope with a hard elbow across the back of the skull of Jake, taking advantage of the situation and scoring the pin. This will mark Jake the Snake's final night with Mid-South Wrestling. He's going to start up two days later with the World Wrestling Federation at the Maple Leaf Gardens. Yeah, sad to see Jake go. And, uh, you know, just thinking about it, that it wouldn't be too much longer when Slater would go to the WWF, and Vince had no idea how to use him. So are you ready for the story Jake told on his podcast about this entire situation? I don't know if you're, you're familiar with it already, Roman. I don't, I don't really know, you know your knowledge of the whole Jake jumping to the WWF ordeal. I thought I had known what was going on, but apparently not, and I found it really intriguing. Yeah, let's hear it. All right, so according to Jake on a recent podcast he did, He was talking about feuding with Dick Slater and he got into the reason he jumped to the WWF and it goes back to this TV taping where Terry Taylor comes out and inserts himself in their storyline there where he issued that challenge. It was earlier in that night backstage that the booker Terry Taylor comes up to Jake Roberts and kind of shows him, uh, I I guess you call it a chart of sorts of where Jake Roberts is on the babyface side of things. And he's basically informed that he's number five after today. Uh, on that TV taping, it goes uh, something like, uh, I don't, I'm not going to, I'm not going to give you the order, the real order, but it's something like, uh, you know, uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Doc DiBiase, Terry Taylor now above Jake Roberts as well. Jake says something like, you mean I'm fifth place? 
Like I'm, I'm this over with the crowd. I'm, you know, I'm this hot right now with the crowd. The crowd's making their own DDT shirts. They're chanting DDT. I've never heard a crowd this loud in quite a while, Roman. And uh, Jake's, you know, he's clearly insulted, I guess is the best way to put it. And uh, essentially he gives notice immediately. I'm as over as I am. And you're trying to bury me to get yourself over above me. Uh, and you're telling me that the tag team of Doc and DiBiase are also above me, even though they're being used as a tag team right now. And Jake kind of just said, no, thanks, as he found out that he was going to be pushed down the card here after this Slater feud. And he, he put in his notice and quit. But the problem was, he said he went home and he called Vince McMahon and Vince was off in Japan doing some kind of a deal. And so Jake said he waited. It was the longest 10 days of his life because he couldn't get a hold of Vince for 10 days. So for the next 10 days after quitting this company here in February, even though he was still working for Mid-South, he didn't have a job to go to after this. He didn't know where he was going to go or what he was going to do. But eventually Jake, uh, Vince comes home. He calls Jake back and, and they, they make a deal. And Jake Roberts is off to the World Wrestling Federation. But apparently it wasn't Vince trying to pillage Jake. It wasn't Jake just looking for a great deal. It was actually, he was happy with where he was. But unfortunately, you know, it was some of Terry Taylor's booking ideas. And, th- and Bill Watts, too, basically not fighting for Jake. He was like, yeah, that's fine with me. And he was just kind of insulted by the way Bill Watts viewed him. He didn't view him as um, unreplaceable. Wow. And all you had to do was just listen to the crowd when Jake came out. Like yeah. you said, the DDT dance and everything. And that was a little bit different era as far as like the merchandising goes. Right. If they had Jake Roberts shirts for sale back then. Oh, Watts would have made no money hand over fist. Yeah, he would have been the top selling merchandise guy there. There's no yeah. doubt in my mind. There hasn't so been a week where people haven't. Yeah, where people haven't made, uh, there hasn't been a week where people haven't made makeshift DDT or Jake Roberts shirts at this point. Right, you know, and the signs and how loud it got, you know, and that wasn't piped in crowd noise. No. That was the crowd being that legitimately loud chanting DDT, DDT. I mean, he was over beyond belief, and for him to say that he was fifth, like, yeah, I guess Taylor's got a little bit of an ego there. So I guess Jake just felt disrespected with the whole situation, unappreciated for everything he had been doing, you know, and it wasn't just Taylor. It was Bill Watts too. You know, his issues with Bill Watts go on forever. And uh, it's Roberts was just disgusted with the whole thing. He didn't like the way he was being treated. He basically got the idea from the cowboy that, you know, you're, you're not needed here. You're you're welcome here, but you're not needed here. We don't need you to survive, you know, go on and do whatever you're going to do. I'm not giving you any deals. So Jake, did what he had to do, and off he went to the World Wrestling Federation, and that's that's pretty much the rest of the story. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't know what, what kind of salary he made or whatever, but I'm going to go out on a limb and say he made more money in the WWF, and uh, he didn't get pushed aside. I mean, they definitely pushed Jake. You know, he was over and everything, and, but wow, yeah, what uh, that that's crazy, because you and I have talked about, like, what if Jake had stayed another year? What if he right. had stayed six more months? I mean, the possibilities were endless. Yeah, you just always assume that it was just time to go because Vince was going to give him more money. There was merchandise money alone that I can't imagine what Jake was making up up north. But yeah, come to find out, it wasn't necessarily you know Vince saying come over here, come with me, come to the dark side. It was it was Jake's you know decision based on uh, you know things that were going on politics again back in '86, and it doesn't always have to involve Hulk Hogan. I guess the right people convinced Vince to bring him aboard because I have heard you know, thousands of stories about how Vince didn't really keep tabs on the competition. Right. You know, other people would tell him, you know, uh, what was going on. So, you know, I guess the right people 
whispered in Vince's ear, like, you got to get this guy. And, you know, and it, it worked out. So we talked about the odd low crowd of 4,000 fans here for this Houston show on February 28th. And I'm not saying this is the entire reason, but this could be part of the reason. And it's Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation coming into Houston the very next day, March the 1st, running at the summit here. And I'm surprised they didn't use Jake Roberts, of all people. I don't know if they could have, but seems like they could have. But uh, no Jake Roberts on the card. Would have been interesting had they did. But March the 1st and the summit draws more than Paul Bosch. Going to draw 5,800 fans, and that's coming from Dave Meltzer. So you, you have to believe that because he's not going to try to put Vince over Paul Bosch or anyone else for that matter. But they're going to see a return match from the last time here at the Summit. It's WWF champion Hulk Hogan taking on the Macho Man Randy Savage in the main event. Also on the card, it was tag team champions Bulldogs taking on the Dream Team. And the Junkyard Dog going to return to Houston as he takes on Texas's own Terry Funk. So they loaded the card WWF-wise, at least a little here. Hogan and Macho, Funker back in Texas, taking on Junkyard Dog, who was also a popular star here in Mid-South and Houston as well. Yeah, you know, and if you're going to come back and try to establish some kind of dominance or whatever, it makes sense to try to load the card. So if these these attendance figures are accurate, Vince McMahon uh, doing 50% more than what Paul Bosch did the day before. And, you know, looking at those cards, obviously, I, I feel like the, the, uh, the Bosch and Watts card way better. But uh, it is what it is. It depends on your cup of tea, I suppose. Still seems odd to me that this uh, Houston card here for Mid-South only drew 4,000 fans. Just really crazy. But, you know, if you are a hardcore fan and had exposure to both, what a fun time that would have been to be a fan. You know, you go see one promotion one day and then go see another one and another. And, uh, you know, man, what a great time to be a fan. You know, I, I never had anything like that here. Yeah. And uh, that's pretty much it. Uh, we're going to close up the month of February here, Roman. I appreciate you joining the show again. That was a lot of stuff fit into two weeks of TV. They have really, really been uh, cramming it into TV as of late. Lots of uh, good stuff. The squash matches are a little shorter now, but they're making up for it with a whole whole bunch of other stuff going on all around them as well. Lots of good storylines, and the talent is second to none. Yeah, then the Crockett Cups right around the corner, the expansion to the UWF, uh, lots of good things coming down the pike. We talked about this off-air, Roman, recently, talking about the Crockett Cup, and I know uh, you had did some research on the Crockett Cup in uh, recent months. And so uh, when we get to that time period, guys, I just want to announce now that we're going to have a special Crockett Cup edition of Regional Wrestling. We're going to pick it apart, talk all about the show, and I'm probably going to put a few things up on YouTube for you guys to enjoy as well. But I look forward to that when we get there, the Crockett Cup 86 coming to regional wrestling down the road. Oh, that's going to be exciting. That's definitely going to be something to look forward to. But uh, yeah, that wraps it up, Roman. We're two months down, still 10 to go, but man, we're making progress. And I had a great time running through the month of February. So much going on. Unfortunately, Jake the Snake Roberts gone. We'll probably see him on TV again before he's uh, written off of television anyway. But uh, other than that, Jake Roberts is uh, it's a big name gone from the company here by the end of February. They're going to lose a few more of these guys before too long, but so much talent still coming in. Oh, yeah. And, you know, they've got a, they're hanging on to a lot of talent right now. You know, down the road they would lose a lot, but they've still got a lot of big stars there now. They're going to get more in. The stories, the angles, I mean, there's so much to look forward to that. There's a reason why you and I pounced on 1986 UWF. It was an awesome time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm a big fan of 
pretty much every territory and pretty much any era of those territories, but this is one of the best, and it's a great way to start off hot here on the Regional Wrestling Podcast, covering things like Georgia 81 or here Mid-South 1986, just some really good stuff to get things going here and really get get the uh, fans listening to the show. I, ho- I, I always get great feedback for the shows uh, with Jamie Ward and with you, Roman. You guys both do a fantastic job. You guys know your shit which I love, and you know, you're know you not short for words. You guys know what you want to talk about, and you guys always bring things up. You, you catch me sometimes sleeping. I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I didn't even notice that. I just really appreciate the engagement, and I, I'm glad we were able to get another show in. Yeah, me too, and uh, I'm a fan of you and Jamie. I listen to the Georgia podcast whenever you guys do one. That takes me back down memory lane, and I learn stuff, and that's a, another great one for those of you out there that have not experienced listening to uh, to Georgia wrestling or know much about it, give it a shot. It's great to listen to. Yeah, and the fun part about Georgia is I haven't put a lot up on my YouTube channel, but there's a ton of it, especially from 1981 out there. And I believe from August or July onward, pretty much every full episode or near full episode is in existence. So you guys can follow the second half of Georgia 81 uh, pretty much without missing a beat. And uh, it's just up to me, I guess, in the in the meantime, <laughs> to do the research to keep, um, you know, making sure I, I, I cover every uh, nook and cranny of the first half of the year anyway. But it's not so hard here in 86. we got all the TV to go through, Roman, so we're going to have a blast. Oh, I, I, I'm having a ball doing it, and I can't wait to do the next one. All right, looking forward to having you back, man, as we begin March of 1986 in Mid-South. No, it's going to be the Universal Wrestling Federation. That's right, Mid-South going national. It's going to be the UWF. Thanks, Roman, once again. My pleasure. Okay, guys, that's two months down. Ten to go here in 1986 in Mid-South Wrestling. I want to thank you again, Roman, for joining the show. Just a reminder, you can follow me, Ray Russell, on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also want to thank all of our loyal listeners for continuing to listen to the show, as we'll be back soon with more Mid-South 86, more Georgia 1981 with Jamie Ward. So thanks again for listening to Regional Wrestling where we talk the territories. Mm-hmm.